This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This winter, Borgosh Energy is here to help. So if your boiler breaks down on the coldest day of the year, don't worry. Our dedicated winter repair team is at the ready. And we know the value for money is more important than ever. That's why with our winter price pledge, we're freezing our electricity and gas prices so you can keep cozy for the same great value. It helps to be with Borgosh Energy. Search Borgosh Energy Boiler Repair. Borgosh Energy will guarantee no price increases in residential gas and electricity until at least March 2021. What's that? Uh, taxi driver? Ah, yeah, cool. And, uh, shower head, big knife. Is that Psycho? Okay. Dancing lady. Are, are those wolves? Dances with wolves? They kind of look more like foxes. Or a hedgehog. Okay, what's this? Uh, a radio, another wolf slash fox, and lots of people. Radio Fox Group, Radio Wolf Bunch, Radio Wolfgang, Radio Wolfgang emoji title, I love it, smiley love heart eyes, winky kiss. Hello, this is Radio Wolfgang, yeah, we're back on air, the ghost town, but we don't care, we're mobile now, we're everywhere, yeah, Radio Let's suppose that you were able every night to dream any dream you wanted to dream. And you would naturally, as you began on this adventure of dreams, you would fulfill all your wishes. You would have every kind of pleasure. And after several nights, you would say, well, that was pretty great. But now let's, um, let's have a surprise. Let's have a dream which isn't under control. It's that feeling of falling, you get the jolts you wake, it snaps you out of the dream. Are we gonna feel a kick with this kind of sedation? Oh, that's the clever part. I customize the sedative to leave inner ear function unimpaired. That way, however deep the sleep, the sleeper still feels falling or tipping. The trick is to synchronize a kick that can penetrate all three levels. 
my first memory, maybe when I was around two and a half, just before I was three, is a dream. It was a fever dream, so I had some sort of cold or flu, and I remember just vividly that uh, I was standing beside this railway track and this huge steam engine that was belching smoke and sparks and steam came thundering down the track. Now, I wasn't on the track, I wasn't in any hazardous position, uh, but I was just amazed at the sheer power of it. Let me ask you a question. You never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. I guess, yeah. So how did we end up here? And it went thundering past, but I woke up because I just couldn't believe what was happening inside my head. And, and my father came through to comfort me, and then I, I fell asleep. And, of course, my dad thought that was it, sorted that one out. <laughs> but at breakfast the next morning, was, what's a dream, Dad? Hello, dreamers. This is Science-ish, presented by me, Rick Edwards, and my favourite dreamer, Dr Michael Brooks. Hello. Thank you very much. I didn't know he was your favourite. Well, I only know one dreamer. Oh, okay. You. That's me. So, by default, you are my favourite. <laughs> I'll take that. Why don't you make yourself useful <laughs> and describe the show? So, this is a show where we take something from popular culture, of a film or a book, and sort of go through the science of it and try and work out some relevant questions to ask and see if we can find out, you know, where, where fact meets fiction. How many questions? Three questions. Yes, three. And this time we're going to be asking those three questions about the Christopher Nolan film Inception. Michael, uh, did you enjoy Inception? Um, I, uh, ironically, fell asleep at the cinema watching Inception. Or at least you think you did. <laughs> well, yeah, who maybe, who yeah. knows? In some reality somewhere. To be clear, we're going to do this show about the film Inception and you haven't seen it. Um, no. What, were you particularly tired that day or just... Sometimes um, I... <laughs> yeah. You know what? So I, I would go to the cinema knowing I'm going to have a sleep. I'm just like, it's very <laughs> relaxing, actually. Comfortable chair. Sometimes, yeah, you pay for the No one talking darkness. to you. Yeah. <laughs> it's very pleasant. I'll do a sort of brief summary of the, of the plot for anyone who hasn't seen it. So basically, Leonardo DiCaprio and his sort of uh, nefarious crew are trying to infiltrate a businessman's son's uh, mind and plant an idea into his subconscious without him realising it so that it will be beneficial to another businessman. And that planting of a seed without the person knowing is an inception. So the first question is, why do we dream? The big guy in, in sort of dream theory is, uh, is Freud, of course, who wrote a book in... Uh. 1900? I mean, it's... It might not be true. Yeah, (laughs) perfect. (laughs) 1900 or thereabouts. And uh, uh, called The Interpretation of Dreams. And he was kind of fascinated by it. And his uh, conjecture was that um, it's to do with wish fulfillment. And so your your subconscious, sort of kind of your subconscious desires, the things that get buried, um, are, are allowed to surface during during dreams because effectively you're like your defenses are lowered. So the things that normally keep that in check when you're awake um, aren't there. And he said that dreams are the royal road to the unconscious. Oh, okay. He was obviously very into the unconscious. I think that's true. I mean, that's how scientists would see it now. You mm. know, that dreams and and you know understanding what dreams are all about are an important way of understanding what consciousness is and therefore mm-hmm. 
your, your unconsciousness or unconscious self as well. So, yeah, I'm sure he was on the right track. There's obviously a, a, a whole yeah, host so of theories it, on it's this. It's interesting because nobody's really got a good kind of you know definitive take on this, mm. which probably indicates that actually there's lots of reasons to dream. You know, and, and you know that other animals do it as well. You know, you see your dog or your cat dreaming. Mm. So obviously it's quite a, you know, a deep sort of primitive thing. Um, my sort of personal favorite theory of why we dream is in terms of processing memories, just stuff that's gone on during the day that you move from your kind of initial memory, short term memory into long term memory. And, and this is something that neuroscientist Dr. Freya Olaf Stottier of UCL has been looking at. What we know is that through sort of physiology experiments done in rodents is that uh, neurons that uh, are active during wakeful behaviour, let's say when a rat is running in a maze, that neural activity is repeated, reactivated many times during sleep. And so this phenomenon is called replay. So it's like replaying recent memories. And we think that, that that's the way that the brain consolidates memories. But we were interested in the function of sleep in this replay. What we found was that um, an animal that's been sort of exposed, so it can see, let's say, an arm of a tea maze that has a tasty treat at the end of it. When the animal then goes to rest and it's never gone to that arm, the brain or the part of the brain called the hippocampus replays that novel path that's sort of goal-directed, that's relevant to the animal because it leads to a tasty rice grain. Um, but then another bit of the environment that just doesn't have anything interesting on it, that's not replayed during sleep. So the animals are dreaming of the desired future. The reason that perhaps that happens during sleep is because then the sort of brain doesn't get it. There's no interference from you know, from what's happening when you're awake. So the brain sort of gets a break from everything and then it can just sort of like go through everything that's happened perhaps during the day. So if you learn a new task and then you go to sleep and then you're tested on that task, you'll do better than if you hadn't slept, for example. Um, and then sort of recently people have been sort of extending this this um, hypothesis of what's, why we sleep or why we dream. What we dream about reflects what we think is important for our future. An idea, resilient, highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold in the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. Right in there somewhere. So neuroscience is a relatively new sort of entrant to this field. Um, and there's lots of theories that come from different places. So um, they're not as easy to test. They're not easily verifiable. But psychologists have been certainly fascinated with dreams for centuries. From my experience, the reason why we dream is to continually update our sense of self so we can understand who we actually are what we really need and what we truly believe in our waking lives. And one of the main ways that I work with dreams is to work with language and imagery. And the word dream has two meanings in our language and in a lot of other languages. It's the phenomena that we all create at night, but it's also our deepest hopes and aspirations in waking life. Can you start by telling me sort of who you are? I mean, are you Dr. Ian Wallace? No, I'm a, a mere psychologist, Michael. <laughs> so, so I have a, a BSc in psychology, yeah. uh, which I gained uh, about 35 years ago now. And 
since then, I've just practiced working as a psychologist, a jobbing psychologist, specializing specifically in dreams and working with the unconscious self. So when we're creating dreams at night, we're actually engaging with the same brain processes and emotional processes that we used to imagine our ambitions in day-to-day reality by forming images of how our past has been and how our future may look. Uh, let, let me um, ask you about lucid dreaming, because that's, I mean, that's what really is fascinating me at the moment. Um, I mean, can you describe what it is? Or what it feels like, maybe maybe they're the same thing. Uh, it feels amazing. It is just, just <laughs> it's one of the most amazing things that you'll ever experience. So what happens in a lucid dream is that you become aware that you're dreaming. Yeah. And usually the, the first thing that happens, as soon as you become aware that you're dreaming, you think, oh, I'm dreaming, ah! and you wake up. The, the first few times you do it, you're wobbly, you're all over the place, you fall off. But if you persevere, then you can extend the duration of the lucid dream and become very, very comfortable in it. So, I mean, how, how long have you been lucid dreaming? Probably since uh, trying to... Yeah, pr- maybe 12 or 13, I think. <laughs> wow. Did you teach yourself? Well, it, it's, it's spontaneous, and it, you might not be fully aware of it, but there are two stages during the day where you just naturally experience hypnagogia. So you go to bed, you're lying there, and you've got thoughts from the day and thinking about tomorrow and imagining stuff. And at some point as you lie there with your head on the pillow, an uncommanded image will appear in your mind. That's the point when you're falling asleep and that's you starting to go into the hypnagogic stage. At that point, you are spontaneously lucid dreaming. You've just created an image, but you're still aware. And you can play around with that image, but usually you're very tired, so you just fall asleep. In the morning, when you're rested, particularly if you've had a a very good restful sleep, high-quality sleep, you will wake up quite slowly, often from a dream, because a dream is quite a light sleep state. And as you wake from the dream, you will go through that hypnopompic stage. And in that, and it usually lasts a bit longer, maybe two or three seconds, you're often aware that you're both waking and dreaming. So in those two stages that we all go through every day, then by extending those a little bit, then you can really use them to lucid dream. So that will lead us quite nicely to our, our second question, which is, can anyone do it? Can anyone lucid dream? Well, yes, I think they can. Well, go on then. Well, I'm actually way ahead of you there. I asked him for some tips. Oh, well done. <laughs> the, the first thing, as ever, Michael, in working with the unconscious is to set a conscious intention. So tonight when you go to sleep, as you lay your head on your pillow, say, tonight I will become aware that I am dreaming. Right, I'm about to go to sleep and try to dream with some kind of control. Um, I've no idea how to do this, really, but uh, let's see what happens. I've been out for a few drinks tonight. I don't know whether that will hinder or help. Uh, So, let's see. Right, good night. So so those are the two natural points that we lucid dream at when we have that awareness of dreaming and wakings. But one of the main ways that I get clients into a lucid dream uh, can be a bit disturbing to start off with. When I say it's disturbing, I'm not involving them in some primitive rite where I dance around and chant and stuff like that. It's um, 
One of the best ways to enter a lucid dream is from a nightmare. The reason that you go from a nightmare is that a nightmare is the most common time that people experience dreaming and waking because they're in a dream that they find disturbing and they wake themselves up from the dream. And as you wake yourself up from the dream or are attempting to do that, you're actually lucid dreaming. At that point, you can make a choice whether to wake up or whether to go back into the lucid dream. And, and the wonderful thing about that, whatever is happening in the nightmare, then by making the choice to go back into it, then you can alter the outcome. Well, something is going to happen to me that I don't know what it's going to be. And uh, you, you would dig that and come out of that and say, wow, that was a, a close shave, wasn't it? Then you would get more and more adventurous. When I taught myself to lucid dream, I was like 16, and this is way before I got into Buddhism. Who's this lunatic? <laughs> Genuine question. <laughs> Where's he popped up from? Uh, my name's Charlie Morley, and I teach something called Mindfulness of Dream and Sleep, which is a holistic approach to lucid dreaming within the traditions of mindfulness meditation and Tibetan Buddhism. If you think Ian Wallace was into lucid dreaming, Charlie is like, you know, 10 steps ahead of him. Right, He's, okay. He goes in hard, he goes in deep. <laughs> the horrible phrase. <laughs> but I'll bet he does. Um, da, 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 da. So I bought these books, managed to gain access to this huge virtual reality simulation in my mind where there were no rules. You can imagine what I got up to, man. I was 16. It was literally sex, drugs, and skateboarding uh, in the lucid dream state. And that was fun. So I'd get lucid. I'd be like, hot girls now. And all these women would appear and I'd have sex. And I'd be skating around and doing amazing tricks that I couldn't do in the waking state. And I thought, this is just brilliant. Every kind of pleasure you would say, well, wow, that was pretty great. And then later on, I got into Buddhism. And these monks start saying that lucid dreaming is used as a spiritual practice. And I was like, spiritual practice, whatever. Lucid dreaming is about just having fun and getting your rocks off and stuff. And then their point was that once you're inside the mind, you're conscious in the unconscious. So the kind of insights you can have in there and the seeds of change you can plant can be really kind of spiritually beneficial. So then I started doing all, all that kind of stuff. And then you realize that there's, there's serious work to be done. But, you know, your first lucid dream, if you want to fly about and have fun, go for it. You know, I'm sure the shadow is going to allow you some fun before yeah, you begin. Yeah. yeah. You would dream the dream of living the life that you are actually living today. That would be within the infinite multiplicity of choices you would have. Okay, so, um, do you regularly remember your dreams? Not regularly, no. Do you ever write down your dreams? No, never done that. Okay. So the foundational practice for lucid dreaming is first remembering your dreams. Because lucid dreaming is based on being conscious of the fact you're dreaming. The more conscious you are of what you're dreaming about, the more likely you are to get conscious. So the first thing we need to do is try and remember our dreams. The first guy I worked with, actually, when I started doing workshops when I was 25, was this um, older kind of Texan guy. And he always used to ask really difficult questions about Buddhism. I think he had a problem with me being so young and being asked to teach and stuff like that, as, as I would have, actually. And he said, uh, Charlie, I do not dream. And I was like, well, Henry, you know, everyone dreams four or five times a night. He said, no, no, I do not dream. 
I said, well, look, for the next seven days, I want you to do this practice. As you're falling asleep, passing through the hypnagogic state, be reciting in your mind a classic hypnotic suggestion to remember your dreams. Tonight, I remember my dreams. I have excellent dream recall. Tonight, I remember my dreams. I have excellent dream recall. Next Tuesday, he comes back, and we're opening up. I say, any feedback from the homework? And he puts his hand up. And I thought, God, I'm going to get toasted in front of everyone again. Charlie, I realized something. And I'm like, yeah, Henry, what do you realize? I realized I've been dreaming for 62 years. I just never cared to notice. And I was like, that, he just nailed it. I never cared to notice. You know, this beautiful kind of southern drool. If you care to notice your dreams, if you go to sleep tonight and you're really bothered about remembering what happened tomorrow morning, you're going to remember it. It's about working with that perspective memory, putting it in deep. Tonight, I remember my dreams. I have excellent dream recall. So whenever you wake up in the night, Jot down some notes of what happened in the dream. Anything that was weird, anything that really stuck out that you could think, well, how didn't I know I was dreaming? My dead grandma turned up, come on. Or that dog started speaking to me. How didn't I know I was dreaming? These are dream signs. So dream signs are any aspect of the dream that could indicate to you that you're dreaming. Now that's a time to do this, to look at your hand, check your fingers, flip the hand and flip it back again. And we'll learn why in a little bit. Last night I had a... At least I had a dream I could vaguely remember in the morning. So it's something to do with some new type of aircraft, funnily enough. So the dream was fine, but it wasn't lucid. The usual crazy stuff. Some neighbours from a road where I used to live seemed to play a major part in it. But there was no sense that I was aware that it was a dream. You know, nothing in it um, that makes me think I have any success at lucid dreaming at all. So maybe this is going to take a while. Um, I think a few days isn't enough. And uh, it's also a little bit stressful because I really like to relax when I go to bed, funnily enough. And I feel like this lucid dreaming thing actually takes quite a bit of effort. Um, am I prepared to put it in? Well, I'll see. I do like the idea of, of lucid dreaming. I like the idea of experiencing some kind of alternate reality. So I might try and carry on. But so far, it's nothing but frustration, really. So, how's your dream diary going? <laughs> well, I've been doing it. I've been uh, keeping a, a record. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to sleep with this mantra in my head. You know, the last thing I say to myself out loud sometimes and sometimes in my head and, uh, you know, it is, you know, I, tonight I remember my dreams. I have excellent recall of my dreams and it does seem to work. It's amazing. So I've actually been remembering my dreams. And so what kind of stuff have you had? I'm trying to think what I can talk about on, <laughs> on, on air. Um, so yeah, I, I, friends here, Michael, yeah, talk yeah. about whatever you like. Yeah. So I've had, I had, uh, a few dreams about aeroplanes actually. So it was after the, you know, the Shoreham, Mm -hmm. air show crash because one of my best friends was actually sort of on the road and the, the plane hit the car in front of him oh wow so you know obviously very close call he's very shaken up we're all very shaken up by it mm. and this came through in my dreams and so the first dream that i recalled i actually had a moment of lucidity seriously just just this moment where um i was looking at a propeller of a plane and it was a you know three blades on the propeller and it morphed into five blades on the propeller which i don't think ever exists and i said to myself that's really weird why would that change i must be dreaming and then i woke up and that was it 
But oh, so that and that's the first step towards yeah. towards lucid dreaming yeah. is, is the awareness. Yeah, exactly. So the, this kind of you know repeating the mantra, being conscious, and you know he says it's like a you know hypnotic suggestion to yourself. And I've remembered my dreams. I've seemed to have gone into this state where I could dream and then wake up and then you know write it down, go back to sleep, have another dream, mm-hmm. and something happened in that dream. Actually, it was a it was a hornet. A big wasp flew into the room, was buzzing around and kind of threatening everyone in this dream. And do you know what? I woke up and I knew what that was about. And it was about a personal situation, a family situation that I needed to deal with. That I've been you know I'd written an email. And have been sitting on it for six weeks, and I actually have sent that email since because I thought, uh-huh. "Oh, that's my unconscious is telling me to deal with that." Because because Freud talks about that, doesn't he? So yeah. the 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 hornet is I can't remember if it's is it called displacement. So you like someone. So I'm assuming that the, the hornet is a is a person in a, yeah, in, in yeah. a way, and then to um, to protect yourself, your dream state makes that person into an animal. Right, because um, it's easier to easier to deal with in yeah. in the dream. So yeah, the uh, you, you've dealt with the hornet. So, yeah, isn't that amazing? That so, is amazing. So I'm I'm a little bit shocked by all this. I have to say, you know, because mm. it's like this is not a place I ever go to in my life. I sort of feel like you know, day to day life is good. You know, I'm not Charlie Morley. I don't need to ex- escape into all kind of you know sex and drugs at night. That's well, you know, that's my day to day life. Really. Yeah, exactly. What a break from it. <laughs> <laughs> And, and this is literally just a few days of it as well. Uh-huh. And then, you know, he kind of told me how to go to the next level, which is just a little bit weirder. I mean, this does sound like an absolute nightmare, pun intended, for your <laughs> wife. <laughs> how do we turn this into lucidity? We make lucidity triggers. So we spot our dream signs and then kind of encourage them to happen. So it's about dream recall, writing down the dreams, spotting patterns and laying lucidity triggers. And these kind of triggers will manifest in the dream and will get lucid. But it's not always that simple. Sometimes something else happens, and this is where it gets really interesting. You'll be in the dream, you'll spot a dream sign, like your dead grandma or something. In fact, in this case, it was my dead grandma. But then the mind will start to confabulate to maintain the status quo. It's such such a kind of strange possibility to be awake within your unconscious that sometimes the mind kind of can't, just can't fathom it. Grandma appeared, I thought, I've got to be dreaming here. And I looked around, it was just too realistic, and I I couldn't believe it was a dream. So that's when we need these things called reality checks. And this is where it gets really, really weird, but again, we've got some kind of science to back this up. In uh, Stanford University in America, they proved there are certain things that are almost impossible for the lucid dreaming brain to replicate. Very, very good at replicating this, this vision of reality, but it has an Achilles heel. And it's based on detailed pattern recognition, certain things uh, which are almost impossible to replicate. So in the dream, you look at your hand, count your fingers, four fingers and a thumb, flip it over and flip it back again. If you're dreaming, that pattern will change. You'll get an extra finger, your hand might disappear, your hand might turn to flames. I mean, teaching for six years, I've heard thousands of variations on this. So it kind of creates an imperfect rendering. So you might get an extra finger or lose a finger or two. This is similar to Inception. This is your totem. So we all have a totem then, and it's our hand. I have to make a little confession here. There's a totem might be the bit that i slept through on inception (laughs) (laughs) at the very end the little spinning top 
Michael. Uh, all right. So, so in so in in Inception, their totem is uh, they have a little spinning top and they they yeah. set it spinning, and then if it just keeps on spinning, then they're in the dream state because there's no gravity right. in their dream state. But if it falls, yeah, then you are awake. Right. And so the thing that kind of frustrated people, I think, at the end of Inception, and I think I was one of them, <laughs> is that it cuts before you see whether it's going to fall or not. So DiCaprio sort of goes out into his idyllic-looking garden and then the top is spinning and then it just starts to slightly wobble and oh, then yeah, end and then of film. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you're yeah. sort of going, aha, he isn't, or is he? And I think that Nolan has never come out and said whether it's going to Well, of course he spinning. hasn't. Why would he? Uh, first question you'd point. ask Christopher Nolan if you met him. <laughs> and are you a doctor, Christopher? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> there we go then. So last night was pretty successful, and uh, tonight I'm going to try and improve on it. Um, take some kind of control over my dreams. Um, I decided to try and put a totem into my dreams. So I'm thinking, for some reason, I don't know why, of my old hockey stick and holding that. So I'm going to imagine myself trying to hold hold this hockey stick, which is bright yellow, and something that I hope will kind of stand out if I see it in my dreams. So let's see what happens. Good night again. The way we can expediate the process is by doing reality checks in the daytime. So as you notice in this interview, when we had those weird sounds earlier, I looked at my hand and in my head I was asking, could this be a dream? Now I'm not mad, I know I'm not dreaming right now, but the point is I'm creating a habit that whenever something strange, out of the ordinary or dreamlike happens in my daily life, I habitually do a hand check and ask myself, am I dreaming? You do enough of these, you will dream about doing it. This is how I have the majority of my lucid dreams. We can do this in very subtle ways too. You know, there's a, a, another kind of uh, Inception reference here too, where the Japanese businessman has been convinced that he's awake. They've made this like perfect replica of his um, apartment. And then a fight breaks out. He falls on the floor and his uh, cheek touches the carpet. <laughs> I've always hated this carpet. It's stained frayed in such distinctive ways. But very definitely made of war. Why now? Unlined and polyester. And he becomes lucid, he knows he's dreaming. Which means I'm not lying on my carpet in my apartment. You have lived up to your reputation, Mr. Carr. I'm still dreaming. So I am at this point starting to feel a bit self-conscious about this. It's it's one thing to be saying a mantra in your bedroom last thing at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another thing to be sat on the tube, looking at your hand, turning it over and clenching your fingers and turning it back again. Uh, because I think that just looks really weird. I I think you're overstating the interest that other people have in what you're doing on the tube. Like, I think you could be doing that and genuinely no one notices. Yeah, you're probably not the weirdest person on the tube at that point, I are you? I almost guarantee you're not. It just sort of, when he was talking about it, it occurred to me that rendering a hand that is on fire 
is probably harder than <laughs> rendering a hand. <laughs> well, I, I wonder what my hand will end up doing. That was the other thing I thought. Well, it's know, exciting, what, isn't it? Well, if my <laughs> hand doesn't catch fire or, or give an extra finger, but, you know, turns into something else. I thought, you know, if it turns into a mushroom or, I don't know, it's kind of, something in my unconscious will do something to my hand. Yeah. That, that should be the theory, shouldn't it? I think if it turns it into a mushroom, then, I mean, your mind's all over the place. Disappointing. <laughs> what it's doing. <laughs> and that is a really, really poor stab at a hand. Why, why, yeah, why did mushroom come into my head? Yeah. Now, now I'm, I'm destined to get the mushroom, aren't Yeah, I? you are. You are. <laughs> and we'll be with you every step of the way, Michael. They say we only use a fraction of our brain's true potential. Now, that's when we're awake. When we're asleep, our mind can do almost anything. Such as? Imagine you're designing a building, right? You consciously create each aspect. But sometimes it feels like it's almost creating itself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah like I'm discovering it. Genuine inspiration. So I guess we can say then that there is some scientific basis for that totem device in Inception. Yeah, I think, I think you can justify that. And is there anything else in the film that you can justify scientifically? <laughs> Yeah, there's something about sort of decoding dreams and, you know, and actually being able to influence the content of, of our dreams. We're, we're able to do that. The actual way that Inception works of, of going down through different levels in a dream, I quite, that's my own most popular recurring dream. I, I dream that I am working with a client and as I work with the client's dream, they share their dream with me. And I find myself stepping into their dream just because I'm interested and start creating that dream unconsciously in my dream. And, and I'm usually really immersed in their dream. I start to think to myself, hang on, whose dream is this? And I need to step back out of it. But there are elements of it then that, that sort of resonate with you. Yeah, very much so. The, the idea that you can create dream content and all the things that happen in Inception where there are dream characters who are created by the dreamer and, the, and these different scenarios where somebody comes up with one dream and then there's another dream to combat it. Leading us to our final question, which is, can you do that Inception thing? Can you plant a dream in someone else's head? What's your gut feeling on that? You go to, I, I really enjoy magic and there's obviously, you know, like mind readers uh, yeah. and so on. Like You know that they're not reading your mind yeah and most of them are quite open about that but they're very good at planting things yeah. in your head without you knowing yeah. and that's when you're conscious and i figure actually that then it should be easier to plant it in your subconscious yeah because I my conscious so. mind is yeah. more alert to that sort of yeah um that sort of invasion um, but if there are people that can do it then I, I i would guess that there are people who could who could plant an idea in my head yeah so could someone plant a dream in your head without you knowing? Yes. <laughs> uh, uh-oh. Yeah. And, but when, when I respond to that and laugh in a slightly maniacal way from, from my... <laughs> I did notice that, yeah. From my mountaintop lair and I'm stroking a white cat here. <laughs> um, no, I have uh, uh, my own code of morals and ethics around what I do. But I do know, just from the way that the, the mind works and the brain works, that you can subliminally suggest to people um, what might come up for them, what might emerge in their conscious and unconscious awareness. So if I've been working with a client who, say, has some sort of addiction, uh, in, in doing that, I will 
during a hypnotherapy session will suggest some unconscious imagery that they can work with. And then that quite often comes out in their dreams again. Wow, okay. It's, it's, it's a little bit scary, isn't it? Well, it is, but then you think of all the other things that happen in waking life where we are constantly subjected to subliminal information and people trying to influence us in, in various ways through images and through words. There's a tiny bit of research looking at influencing dreams. If an animal is in a maze, a rat is in a maze, and it learns to associate a particular tone with you know, a particular turn, and then a different tone with another turn, and they're, they're sort of associated with different rewards. Um, then during sleep, if you sort of play the different tones, you can, you'll see that the replay will change, or let's say perhaps the dreams are changing. You're perhaps um, creating like new memories for, for the animal or the human, but it's quite... <laughs> that's still probably in the realm of science fiction, <laughs> I think. What do you want from us? Inception. Is it possible? Of course not. If you can steal an idea from someone's mind, why can't you plant one there instead? Okay. Here's me planting an idea in your head. I say to you, don't think about elephants. What are you thinking about? Elephants. Right, but it's not your idea because you know I gave it to you. The subject's mind can always trace the genesis of the idea. True inspiration's impossible to fake. It's not true. Can you do it? Are you offering me a choice? You know, I've done some interesting tests with my fiance, who's a really good lucid dreamer, where I've kind of, we've made the commitment that we'll open our dreams to each other. So if you can make it into my dream, I let you. And if you can make it into mine, I, I let her. That intention seemed to do something. Uh, of course, the only way to verify it would be to go in, not only to meet, but to have a password. You know, if me and you go to London Zoo today, I may well dream of tigers and you. You may well dream of tigers and me. It doesn't mean it's a shared dream. It means it's based on what we did in the daytime. So you've got to have a password. So we would go into the lucid dream. I would get lucid and say, Jade, Jade Shaw's lucid dream now. Password is. And then say the password. Uh, the password thing wasn't working. We never got it. But we got close to a past image. So this is when I was teaching in South Africa, so like other side of the world. She got lucid and she calls out, Woolly Mammoth into Charlie Morley's dream now. Woolly Mammoth into Charlie Morley's dream now. The same time period, in including the time difference, I'm having the following dream. I'm in this urban environment, walking down the street, and this bloody elephant just walks in. Two weeks later, she says, what did you dream about on August the 11th at 4.30 to 6? She sent a Woolly Mammoth, I got an elephant. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but it seems pretty specific and exactly that time that we had that. Um, so it wasn't 100%. I should have got Woolly Mammoth, but we got something similar. Maybe it's just a coincidence <laughs> is a decent assessment of that, Charlie. Um, the thing is, you, you've got to... If you sort of step back from this moment, so when he was talking to me about it, I thought, well, that's amazing. I see it quite restrained from you. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I want to believe him. I really want to believe him. And I, you know, I, I'm sure he's not lying. What he might have done, interestingly, is planted the idea of a woolly mammoth into her mind without yeah. her knowing it. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, the, he's a lovely guy. He's not, you know, it's not like he's trying to pull a fast one or anything. No. You know, this is a genuine exploration for him of, you know, what is possible. I think this is, this is the point at which he, he loses me. But the, the lucid yeah, dreaming yeah. side of stuff, I mean, you're 
you're currently sort of experiencing it or on, yeah. on the way to experiencing yeah. it feels entirely plausible and also quite quite exciting like yeah, really, yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of possibilities there yeah i'm looking forward to that so what do we think then we uh, of our three questions why do we dream can anyone do it as in lucid dream or can you plant a dream in someone's head without them knowing about it why do we dream are we close to a close I to think, an answer you know, we're processing aren't we we've mm. kind of got unconscious stuff we're having to deal with it and you know it seems from what people are saying and i know you know from what i've looked into people are using kind of dreaming to deal with all kinds of things like um you know nightmares and depression and schizophrenia even mm -hmm. so you know dreaming is a good thing it sort of does some kind of processing that's helpful we we dream because we need to effectively and i guess that our answer to can anyone do it can anyone lucid dream it is, is i think i'd is say yes. yes yeah yeah i would I, mean, I feel like if you can i can and that's not <laughs> yeah, me being not competitive even a doctor. yeah no that's true but maybe that makes it easier for me oh, my maybe, mind is less yeah. questioning yeah that's true you're, you're a simple-minded fellow i am i am and i don't mind you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> the key question the, the question that comes out of the out of the film inception can you plant a dream in someone's head i sort of feel like probably can yeah i feel I mean, like ian can. ian yeah. basically says yes i can, can do it but i choose not to I have ethical <laughs> which, concerns yeah, about that, yeah which i quite like ethical dreaming mm. but it's not going as far as being into in someone else's dream i think i think we're we're not convinced by this idea of, of crashing into somebody else's dream no. are we no even with or without a password no 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 password no woolly mammoth <laughs> Nothing is getting you into someone else's dream. No, no. <laughs> Uninvited. No. Or, or invited, I think is the point, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Uninvited or otherwise, <laughs> you're not in there. So this mantra that Charlie taught me really seems to help. Um, Tonight I remember my dreams. I have excellent dream recall. Tonight I remember my dreams. I have excellent dream recall. Tonight I remember my dreams. I have excellent dreams. I either say it out loud or just in my head. I'll say it out loud for your benefit now. Tonight, I remember my dreams. I have excellent recall. Tonight, I remember my dreams. I have excellent recall of my dreams. Right then, let's go. So if I can just pick up on something quickly, which is one of my favourite things about this entire process, is the fact that um, <laughs> you've been saying this mantra, Michael. You've said it three times, and every time you get it wrong. No. Subtly wrong. <laughs> like, do you think that's why it didn't work very well? <laughs> just changing it. Even when you're getting taught it, you don't parrot it back correctly. <laughs> God, what's wrong with my brain? But, I mean, that's another episode in itself. <laughs> And uh, that, that keeps things moving. That's the nature of life. So in this idea then, everybody is fundamentally the ultimate reality. Not God in a politically kingly sense, but God in the sense of being the self. The deep down basic whatever there is. And you're all that. 
Only you're pretending you're not. Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by Mirik Edwards and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Hannah Walker-Brown and Max Sanderson. This episode featured Freya Olaf-Stottier, Ian Wallace and Charlie Morley. The executive producers were Ellie Martino and Harry Watson. This winter, Borgosh Energy is here to help. So if your boiler breaks down on the coldest day of the year, don't worry. Our dedicated winter repair team is at the ready. And we know the value for money is more important than ever. That's why with our winter price pledge, we're freezing our electricity and gas prices so you can keep cosy for the same great value. It helps to be with Borgosh Energy. Search Borgosh Energy Boiler Repair. Borgosh Energy will guarantee no price increases in residential gas and electricity until at least March 2021.